This is a Radio.com original. This is the Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. And we're here to talk about the global coronavirus pandemic. It's the largest trial yet for a potential vaccine underway. 30,000 volunteers helping test the shots created by the government. No guarantee that the experimental vaccine will actually work. Many Americans wary about a vaccine, which drug companies are going pretty quickly to develop. So is this new one worth cautious optimism? California might be flattening its curve, though it's now a much higher curve than before. It's a big plateau. Yeah. Are we reaching our peak, and does this mean we're soon going to be finished with the virus? Well, while we, of course, are hopeful that the answer is going to be a simple yes, the reality, as always, is far more complicated. Has this changed the way we shop? Maybe forever. Many people continue to work from home. Things like ice cream flying off the shelves. Sales for things like deodorant. Those are down. That's nice. We'll talk about how consumer behaviors are being impacted by the pandemic. How much ice cream can you eat? I can eat a lot of ice cream. Yeah. Baseball is back, but for how long? An outbreak has already hit one team, and the repercussions could hit other sports, including football. Just a note, I am still buying deodorant. So oh, not like that's one of good. Those other people. I just want to get that in on the record. Good um, to hear. Many Americans going stir crazy. Of course, they may be taking refuge on the open water. That's leading to a boom in one leisure industry. So we'll talk about that. Scientists are getting closer to figuring out if a vaccine will work to finally crush COVID-19. The world's biggest test started today with the first of 30,000 volunteers. It's made by the National Institutes of Health and a company called Moderna. It is one of several candidates, but just how promising is it? With us is Dr. Paul Bradley, principal investigator at Meridian Clinical Research involved in the trial. So doctor, what will this trial show us and not show us? Um, This is the the third and last phase. Phase one was small, um, uh, 45 people just looking to see um, if there were any significant side effects and, and what dose might be right. Phase two, which we participated in, was a little bit bigger, 600 people at 10 sites, uh, again, looking to figure out what would be the right dose and were there any significant side effects. And those went really well. Um, uh, unlike most clinical trials where you start one phase and you don't start the next until that one's finished, these are running concurrently. And uh, we're, we're already, even though it's only been seven very short months, we're already at phase three. Phase three, like you said, is going to be enormous. 30,000 people around the country uh, just for Moderna and there's several other companies with vaccines in development. And how long does, so it, far, take, how long does it take to go through 30,000 people? Well, to enroll them, uh, if, if all goes well, we'll do it in, in literally a couple of months um, at, at about 100 different sites. Uh, we'll, we'll probably be enrolling at our site anywhere from 350, 350 uh, maybe to as many as 1,000. Now, and, but here, here, and here now lies one of the the issues that I'm sure uh, you've discussed uh, with your colleagues, because as you know, the polling is already showing that a large number of Americans are leery about any new vaccine, and and some of these vaccines, the one that you're looking at now, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, is a, a brand new kind of technology for vaccines. Uh, so there is a lot of concern out there that uh, when and if one of these vaccines 
uh, are proven to be effective, and we can get into that a little bit later about what that actually means, about whether or not it won't be years before we know how truly safe they are. Is that is that a, a, a reasoned concern? You know, it's um, as I was as I was on hold waiting and, and listening to the uh, um, uh, tragic reports of uh, all the, the increasing the spike in COVID and the deaths. With with anything, there's there's a good and a bad. There's a risk. If if, if you want to take a trip um, out of town, you could always uh, have an accident and you could die. On the other hand, why'd you go? Was it because of um, something really important uh, at the other end, or were you just taking a joyride? In, in this case. Yes, I mean, there's, there's always going to be risk. Uh, it is new technology. It's happening at, as the government said, you know, the, the program warp speed. But there's, there's a point, and there's a tremendous number of safety uh, um, uh, uh, profiles and, and, and exceptions built in. Um, and, and so we start out small, test some people, um, uh, go a little bit further, test some more, and then test some more. So by time uh, it becomes approved for the general public, We'll have already had probably amongst the different trials probably over a hundred thousand participants. And you're hoping for immune response to prevent COVID after what one dose, two doses? How would uh, how would this one work? It, it, it varies. Uh, Moderna's is a two dose. Most of them um, look like they're going to be two dose. Uh, um, the first dose is is given, and then roughly a month later, the second dose is given. And and this is not uncommon. Like the the newer shingles vaccine the same way. The idea, think, think of a vaccine as kind of a picture postcard uh, with the, the picture being that of the enemy. If, if you were going to go to war, you, you, you might want to know what the enemy looks like. And if you only got one glimpse of them, you might remember, you might not. Uh, but if you had two, two chances to identify them, and, and then you, you, you can probably do a much better job keeping that in mind so that when the enemy comes, you're ready. You, you've got your arms, uh, your, 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 your guns are loaded, and, and you're ready to attack. Now, I, I, I dare say that, again, lay people have, I think, a different concept of what an effective vaccine means than the way doctors use that term. I, I think that that's the case in talking to people. When you say, uh, at some point, a vaccine is declared effective. What does that actually mean to you? Sure. Well, you know, the phase one, we have um, uh, the initial report, and that was published in the New England Journal last week. And when we said it was effective, it, it generated an antibody response um, uh, in 100% of the people that got the vaccine, meaning that when uh, we drew their blood, we could tell evidence that they responded, that their, their immune system saw the, saw the COVID and responded to it. And in fact, we can compare that to people who've actually had COVID. And the response in those, those that were vaccinated was at least equal to or greater than uh, the people who actually had the disease, which is, from our, from our standpoint, a home run. Now, you can say, well, does that mean it's going to keep you from getting the infection? Well, we don't know. Phase one and phase two were um, low-risk people. They were healthy, and they were not necessarily out and about in the community. Uh, we, th- we were most interested in just what was their antibody response going to be. Now, phase three is totally different. Phase three is people who are what we say at risk. They're out in the community. They're healthcare workers. They're grocery store workers. They're, they're going to be amongst people and have a significant chance of catching COVID. 
And now we're going to see if that antibody response translates into protection. Dr. Paul Bradley, principal investigator, Meridian Clinical Research, involved in this trial. Doctor, thanks. California might be hitting its peak when it comes to the coronavirus cases. Some health experts say this is the beginning of flattening the curve, although it's a higher curve than before. So is the worst behind us? Can we open everything back up soon. Dr. Peter Chin Hong with us, infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. So, doctor, we're hitting a higher peak and we haven't beat this thing yet. I think of right now as being in California COVID limbo. So we can conquer everything and, and be at a good place if we continue to do what we're doing. So I what- feel that, um, you know, with the more broad-scale interventions that Governor Newsom did a couple weeks ago, I think that we're on the right track, but it's not time to relax yet. But we're in a good shape right now. Yeah, I was going to say, what are the tentative (laughs) trends? Because, you know, the way it's supposed to work, and I think we didn't do it the first time, right? You open or close something and you wait two or three weeks to see before you do one other thing. Yeah. So we went back in a few weeks ago. What are the tentative signs of that right now, and are they positive? Well, there are various indices that we look at to really look at the health of COVID control in the state, as people know, you know, on one extreme, it'll be number of tests that are positive over the number of tests done. That's the test positivity rate. On the other extreme, we also look at hospitalizations and ICU bed usage. So that hospitalizations and ICU bed usage comes a little bit later than the test positivity rate. But I would say that um, overall, it wouldn't be like we flip on the switch. I know everyone uses that term now um, very commonly, dimming the light switch. I feel like in round one, we kind of were really enthusiastic and heavy and sort of like tired of being sheltering place. So everyone sort of turned that light on too fast. And I think we may, if we go back, we'll be turning the light on very slowly. Now, there are some people who are saying we should, here in California, if not nationwide, go back for some period of time to a real uh, strict lockdown, stay-at-home, shelter-in-place situation. The figures that you're seeing now in California, does that suggest that that should be done? I don't think so. I mean, I think we're in a very different place from multiple in multiple dimensions from late February, early March, and we can get into that into some more detail, but... I don't think we have to necessarily en masse go back to shelter in place. Um, we've learned a lot, and I think the, my approach is really thinking about ways to optimize what we're doing, make it a little bit better, tweak the system, and then follow the barometer, which is really you know, some of these indices we talked about, supported by robust contact tracing and quarantine, which we're doing. I know a lot of people have complained about not enough resources, but we're still doing uh, – better job than some other states in that regard. In terms of treatments, we know we are treating people differently or better. We have learned some things since March. So there were all these people waiting for the death rate you know, to climb up as a lagging indicator. Maybe it will, maybe some of it will, but could it also be that the people who are ending up in hospitals are maybe staying there a little bit longer, but they are coming out of it at the end? Correct. Uh, we've, we have uh, you know, no magic bullet, but we do have remdesivir, we have convalescent plasma, we have steroids that we can use. We are better at knowing how to ventilate patients when they're on a breathing tube. And um, I would say that overall, 
you know, we are seeing a younger group of folks in the second round. They're still the older individuals, but that may also affect mortality as well. Let me ask you something, because I, I was curious about it over the weekend, and I got more curious today because of something that President Trump said. On the weekend, his chief of staff went on television to say that perhaps in the next few days there's going to be some kind of an announcement that we're going to see some new therapeutic or something like that. The president this morning at his own news conference sort of echoed that, although his time frame was over the next few weeks. Do you have any idea what they're talking about? I have no idea. Um, I hope it's not disinfectant, and I hope it's not hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> well said. Dr. Peter Chinhong, <laughs> infectious disease specialist, UC San Francisco. Doc, thanks. COVID-19 shocked the world. It is no understatement that the pandemic forged a new world that consumers and businesses just need to adapt to. Consumers' attitudes, behaviors, and purchasing habits, they're changing. And many of them will stay that way for quite some time, even after the pandemic is over. And for now, it seems shoppers are all about health and comfort. Sweatshirts and grilled cheese sandwiches, right? (laughs) Phil Lempert's founder of SupermarketGuru.com, spoke with WBBM's Cisco Cotto. Uh, We've seen a pivot as more people are staying at home, Phil. We are. And Cisco, there's no question about it. You can look at those radio ads, those TV ads where everybody's talking about Zooming. They're buying clothing from the waist up and in sweatpants from the waist down. Um, there, there's no question that we're seeing those trends. But also, there's some other trends that are happening. Um, a report just came out last week that the average American has gained 16 pounds since they've been working at home A lot more snacking taking place than ever before. Ice cream sales are through the roof. Uh, Ben & Jerry's and and Magnum, for example, both Unilever brands have showed significant increases, even though they've lost the food service side of their business. Um, Also, one of the notices that, that we're seeing, and this comes out of Nielsen data globally, is people are getting away from environmentally friendly products, um, and now they want the stuff that really works. They're looking at the efficacy of cleaning products, um, the health and beauty aid products. Um, we're, we're caring a little less about the environment right now, and, and we just want real powerful um, cleansers and, and things that work. Do we know that the 16 pounds that people have gained, that it's not muscle because they're working out so much at home? Is there, <laughs> no, do we know? <laughs> no, it's not muscle. Uh, but but I can tell you that we also looked, oh, I guess about two weeks ago, and people are buying more exercise uh, equipment for their homes because a lot of gyms, you know, have been closed. Those people who, you know, live in high rises, even their gyms have closed. So we are seeing people at least buying exercise equipment, whether or not they're using it. Who knows? One of the jokes that's been out there is people are just basically rolling out of bed if they're working at home. They're, they're sort of rolling out of bed. You know, maybe they're uh, you know still in their jammies when they're on that Zoom call. Uh, what about those personal care products and the things that you normally need to look and smell good if you're actually out there working? Uh, well, Unilever is also reported because uh, they've got a lot of those products. Um, those sales are down. So people aren't using as much deodorant. They're not using as much cologne. Uh, maybe they're, you know, combing their hair. So at least they look good on Zoom. But the rest, those sales are, are down. And keep in mind for supermarkets in particular, uh, it's a scary experience to go into a supermarket now. Whether or not you have to, you know, see somebody fighting with the manager, 
about wearing a mask. Everybody's wearing masks. Uh, that shopping experience that we enjoyed three or four months ago is not as pleasurable anymore. So we are seeing a lot more people going on to e-commerce, buying things in e-commerce, whether they have it delivered or they're just ordering it that way and then they drive up and, and they pick it up. Uh, but that whole shopping experience has probably changed forever. Talk about the challenge for supermarkets now that you're mentioning them. They, for a while, had been really changing their stores because people wanted more fresh fruit and vegetables, more organics, that sort of stuff. So then now they have to pivot back to all of that junk comfort food that people are now buying. Exactly. And one of the other reasons is we saw that supply chain breaking. So those big companies uh, who make those less than healthy foods, they've been able to supply the supermarkets uh, without any problem. It's those small, unique, healthier products that's really had a problem uh, getting to the stores. So we are sh seeing a shift in consumer behavior. Um, you know, I think that all of us who went out and they bought cans of beans, we have enough beans probably for a lifetime. Uh, uh, so, so we're not going to, you know, buy those kinds of products, but we are shifting. Um, if you look at the sales of oat milk, for example, that's up, you know, substantially three, four hundred percent, depending because some places you weren't able to get cow's milk, so people were trying other things. So the behavior has changed. Uh, we have gravitated because of supply to a lot more store brand products because those have been on the shelves. But people have tried different brands, and the question is whether or not those name brands are going to be able to get back those customers. This might be strike one for baseball. More than a dozen players and staff of the Miami Marlins have tested positive for the coronavirus. That led to the cancellation of their game against Baltimore and the cancellation of the Yankees-Phillies game in Philadelphia, since the Yankees would have been using the same clubhouse as Miami used last weekend. Now, this comes as NFL training camps are about to start. So can sports leagues continue if there's an outbreak? Rick Horos is visiting expert on sports business at Harvard School of Law. So, Rick, we knew there would be some complications along their way. There had to be. But did we predict it would happen this fast for baseball, four, five days in? Well, you know, nobody knew. And that was part of the answer. And Rob Manfred, the commissioner, has tried as hard as he could to apply as many contingency kind of business tree decision-making uh, theories, uh, including kind of a non-coronavirus uh, rain dance, but there's nothing you can do if the pandemic continues to grow. And so the players and the owners had agreed on a return to baseball protocol. Frankly, the first weekend, both ratings-wise and getting cardboard cutouts in the stands, so we just didn't even care about fans. It looked pretty darn good, and we were off and running. Then comes what might be termed as Black Monday, I was going to go to the opener at Marlins Park today and keep my distance and, you know, cover it a bit. And I'm kind of glad I decided not to go anywhere near it. And the real question was not whether there were going to be any positive tests. The question is, what do you do about it? Well, and I'll go farther than that, uh, Rick. I think the real question is, as much as there's a desire to bring sports back to fans and, and certainly to make money on the part of team owners, Maybe we just have to realize that so long as this pandemic is raging, you can't do it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is to try to have as many contingency plans as you have uh, can. There's called a taxi squad where each team has uh, 30 more uh, players at their disposal ready to be called up. But, you know, I said last week, and people kind of shot me down saying that's stupid, 
the teams that may win basketball, hockey, baseball, soccer, maybe even football, are the teams that test less positive for COVID over the stretch of the season. You don't want that to happen either. On the other hand, television is a significant revenue producer, regardless of how many fans are in the stands. And, for example, just with college, they got no March Madness TV revenue. They may not have a football season, and you got to try as hard as you can to get as much TV revenue as possible to save the economics of the sports. So they just kind of backpedal down the list as much as they can. You can't, if you're going to pull it off, you can't be married to, like, we have to get to the 60-game schedule. I mean, maybe some teams don't play some games because they have too many tests and you just work it out at the end. Well, that may be the flexibility that everybody's talking about. This is not a business school case study on anything other than how to be flexible, make the best possible plans you can, rely on a little bit of luck, and always be prepared. Well, what precautions uh, that we know about did this uh, team take, and did anyone figure out how they ended up getting infected anyway if they followed those precautions? Nobody knows that kind of stuff. You know, you would like to think that there is uh, contact tracing that can tell you very quickly, but I'm not sure it'll ever be released other than how fast it spreads in a clubhouse. You can tell that. Now with the Texans and the Chiefs reporting to camp a couple days earlier before anybody else in the NFL, you know, NFL football, I don't know if you knew it, but it's a contact sport. And so (laughs) if you get tested, the protocols there are going to be even more worrisome in terms of how to get positive tests into isolation, into quarantine without affecting the season. Rick Horrell, visiting expert, sports business, Harvard Law. Rick, thanks. The open water, it's beckoning, it's becoming popular, popular way to avoid the coronavirus, which is good news for the boat industry. The Marine Retailers Association of America says a recent survey shows that more than 70% of boat dealers are either completely out of boats or have very low inventory. Now, boat dealers are reporting unprecedented sales, that began in the spring in warm weather states, and they are now picking up steam in other parts of the country. Marinas and boat repair shops also swamped by the wave, wave, of interest. There also are waiting lists for slips for boats. I mean, if you're going to socially distance, you might as well do it on a boat away from everybody else. Yeah, just go out into like the Atlantic or the Pacific and <laughs> just drift. I'm going to ride this whole thing out. Yeah, literally. Me on my boat. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We hope you're doing well. Listen to us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. But uh, here's a question for you, Mike. Mm. If, if you're riding it out in the ocean, how do you actually know if there is a second wave of the pandemic? Just <laughs> spend it all on a deserted island. <laughs> It's going to be easier out there.